long story short. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the greatest podcast on earth about nonsense. I am Chris Cash from Mount Phillip Metalworks, joined by my co-host Roy the Psychopath Scott. This is the Axe and Iron Podcast. We are joined today by a very special guest, a very good friend of mine, Mr. Matthew Harris of Matthew Harris Studios. Is that what it is? Matthew Harris Studios now? Yep. Right. Yeah, you just changed your name like last year. Yes. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. This is a this is an exciting week for you. This is the week of your your hammering you do every year. Yep, abso- absolutely. On uh, Saturday we host it. This will be the fourteenth year now. Dang. Um, yep. So it's kind of like our one Saturday to open the doors and just anyone who wants to come by, join us for the day, hang out. Um, it's always a great time, and um, we. Over the years, we've had a bunch of like really great demonstrators, so we are continuing that tradition this year um, with Will Stelter. He's coming all the way out from Montana. That's, that's gonna exciting. Be awesome. yeah, yeah, that's big news. Exciting. So basically what he's telling everybody out there, for all you listeners, is don't bother him. This is the only weekend you get to come bother him at his shop. If you want to see Matt's shop, Matt has an amazing shop. It's an amazing piece of property. For anybody that knows me or has listened to the podcast, Matt's place is actually what got me started down this whole weird, crazy blacksmithing journey that I'm on, a metalworking <laughs> journey. Um, but let's talk a little bit about how you got started, if you don't mind. Uh, you don't have to go back super far to like the day you were conceived and born, but <laughs> if you want to start out with... Uh, I know a lot about your past, but a lot of people don't know, and I think... Uh, it would be a great story to tell because you have an interesting path on how you got started yourself. Yeah. So, um, as far as like my journey into blacksmithing goes, I was in a program like similar to boy scouts. Um, there was a guy, one of the leaders had a forge, little coal forge and the anvil set up. Um, I did about 15 minutes. I made like a, um, I remember I made a flint striker and a little hook. And was like absolutely, you know, hooked on the craft. And how old were you at this point? Uh, I was 13. Oh, okay. Yep. And then not long after that, about six months later, um, some friends of ours had moved down from DC to where we live. And long story short, they're renting this house, and the caretaker of this house happens to be Mr. Mullenshot, uh, the blacksmith. And long story short, I meet him through that. And um, I wind up apprenticing with him for three and a half years. So my apprenticeship was like super traditional. It was just like come work to learn. Um, For like the first year and a half, I wasn't allowed to use any power tools. Um, (laughs) Wax on, wax off kind of stuff. Yep, yep. Um, File at the vice. Um, Hand crank, uh, you know, blower on a coal forge. So like very traditional i mean he had power tools and and a 25 pound little giant but i wasn't allowed to use it for like the first year and a half so <laughs> no mr you've told me a little bit about mr mullenshot what was his first name um alfonsus um uh, and he was from the netherlands right yes he grew up in amsterdam during world war ii as a boy 
and then he moved here in like the early 50s after the war. So you like you just stumbled upon this guy really. You didn't yeah. like seek him out. No. Um yeah, it was really awesome how that worked out. Um but like some fun things about him um so he's trained in Europe as a boy, but when he moves here, he's the uh he's hired by the DuPont company and he was the last blacksmith listed on their payroll like before that uh, you know, um, position became obsolete in like the seventies or whatever. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, that's um, really cool. Yeah, it was. And, and yeah, you're in like the, for people that don't know, you're in like the, would you call it the Northern part of Maryland? Right. I guess so. Yeah. I, I'm Northeast. Absolutely. You're like, yeah. we can be within, um, we can be in Pennsylvania or Delaware within like 15 minutes from where I'm at. Right. Jeez. And the, the DuPont headquarters isn't far from there either. No, it's real yeah. close up uh, up in Wilmington, uh, Delaware. And you so guys, a, were, oh sorry, go ahead, bro. So what's a blacksmith do at Dupont in the That's 1970s? That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, from what he told me, like not much. Like he he wasn't. <laughs> it, it was kind of just more of like uh, his position title, what he was hired on. Uh-huh. But like it quickly morphed into he was a designer um, for them. So he's you know working in their industrial systems and stuff as a designer. Huh. Interesting. But when you started with him, you guys were making what? Um, so when I started with him, he had kind of like a whole craft fair lineup that he did. Uh-huh. Um, and then he had another line of um, forged jewelry, like stainless steel and bronze jewelry. Right. And um, he was also doing a lot with like, historical reproductions we did some stuff uh there's a lot of historic places around like winterthur and um historic houses of odessa and places like that we were doing like you know traditional blacksmithing reproductions for so like door handles cabinet poles stuff like railings um not so much railings he never did really anything bigger Uh um Mm -hmm. But yeah, we, like some reproduction hardware, like uh, we restored a Conestoga wagon, all the hardware on that. Um, so um, yeah. That had to the, be a lot of work. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. No it's, big it's, deal. It's, <laughs> it's, it's out, he had a little bit of misery in his voice when he said that. <laughs> <laughs> was that a long job? I didn't know you did that. Um, yes, it was a long job because, yeah. um, and, and Mr. Momoshot was really good about like, taking things like that and he was a good teacher he used it so what we did was we went to a couple museums and like researched original ones to do a you know a good reproduction on all the stuff we were doing what we were working on was like one that was kind of being restored as new and then you know every we we basically did like a historic copy so wow yeah yeah didn't you do something with tools along the line too what, yeah, so like hammers or stonemason hammers or something like that. Yeah, so kind of continuing from his shop, I spent like three and a half years full time with him. And then I got hired in at a place called the Michael M. Coldren Company. Um, I wound up spending about six years there. Um, that's where I met my really good friend, Mike Robert. That was kind of a second apprenticeship in a way because. Um, they specialized in like forged hardware, like strap hinges. I made yeah. hundreds of strap hinges there. Um, did a lot of production blacksmithing. 
Um, but we also did like really high end stuff. So it was kind of a second apprenticeship in the fact that like Mike Robert, he's an incredible friend of mine and an artist now. Um, but we would get some jobs in that were already designed and then other jobs, Mike and I would design them. I say that loosely, it was about 90% of him designing. Right. But anyhow, like we were able to collaborate on, you know, taking something from a design all the way through to it, you know, being finished and installed. So that and hardware is like super detailed. Um, And, you know, I kind of after six years, long story short, like I got my fill of it, but (laughs) (laughs) you're tired of it. Yeah, that's enough. Um, But no, there's so many pulls you can make, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's really interesting stuff. It's it. There's a lot of good disciplines. Like some weeks, depending on what we're doing, like I would spend, um, you know, in 40 hour work week, I would spend like 30 hours at a bench, you know, filing and fitting. And there's oh not too goodness. many. Yeah, there's not too many places that you do like that much hand, you know, work. Right. So, I mean, it was cool, but like, um intermixed in that same time periods my typical week back then looked like i worked four tens monday through friday doing hardware and then fridays i would go up to an italian um like small industrial shop in philly and um forge um reforge stonemason hammers which i did it just because it was kind of fascinating and it was like a glimpse into another type of work um and then Saturdays, I was usually working in another shop. So um, so when you say reforge, were you taking like the wore out ones and basically just making them new again? Yeah. So these Italian stonemasons would bring like a bucket of worn out straight peen um, mason hammers. They were usually yeah. between like three and five pounds, all chipped up, rounded over. And um, the process to sharpen them was to heat the faces up. And it was all done by hand at the anvil, um, which is pretty brutal. Yeah. But um, you would have to upset the face back down to, like, square it. Yeah. And then you would um, flip it around. The other side, you would um, draw out the straight peen to sharpen it. And then while it was still hot, they had this big, like, old school stone, you know, um, huge bench grinder. Right. you would grind kind of a convex in the face of the in the face of it and then you would sharpen do the final sharpening on the peen so so how many of these can you get done in a day or a weekend or whatever like kind of time frame you're talking about here yeah so i I only work there one day every week but i was i was proud of the fact that in about eight hours i could do um between depending on the size of the hammers between 24 and 32 hammers which is about four hammers an hour Jeez louise so yeah and that's i mean that is just standing at an anvil wailing because it you know you're taking tool steel heads yeah upside yeah. down back um and you just and, did this for fun like this is casual friday for you <laughs> well i mean i was young and like i was just oh, completely wrapped again. up in the craft I, i'm like a 19 20 21 at this point and okay. um so that's making a little bit more sense yeah <laughs> i had time and i love blacksmithing so I, yeah you know i just sought out places to learn and that was but that shop also did it like 
some light industrial stuff. They had a nasal 3B and um, huge, uh, like 400 ton uh, punch press. I mean, big. Wow. Like, yeah. Massive. That is big. Yeah. And so they would do um, Mr. Mazzola, who I worked for there. Um, he was a really smart guy. He, he was trained as an engineer from the University of Pennsylvania. So, like, he was really smart in taking a job, designing dies for it, and doing some larger scale forging. So, that's why I did it. Like, I viewed any shop that you could get your foot in the door as like an opportunity to learn a different discipline of the craft. So, how did uh, you get these jobs, Matt? Like, how did you originally start working? With, well, I know Mullen shot the, the relationship you had there, but like, wh- how'd you get the job in Philly? Did you just literally just walked in. Well, I mean, it's kind of one of those things like when you're in the trade, you know, you meet people and you like, for instance, Mr. Mullenshop recommended me to the Coldron Company where I got hired doing hardware. Okay. Um, at, at the Coldron Company, I met an awesome blacksmith named Tony Birch. Mm-hmm. Um, to this day, he's the best production blacksmith I've ever been around. Like to take like something like maybe uh, a shutter dog on the side of the house yeah. and figure out a way to make like... 3,000 of them and tool and diet. He's unbelievable, like at, at coming mm-hmm. up with stuff like that. And he was another one. Like I'd go to his shop sometime on Saturdays and just work with him, you know, get my foot. But long story short, like Tony recommended me to the shop in Philly. And it's, it's funny because, like, you know, to get hired into a shop's hard. Yeah. People are always hesitant. Like even I'm hesitant to take people on. But it's one of those things like I made sure any door that I went through, you know, I busted behind and they made money when I was in their shop. So if you're making people money, they like to have you yeah. around. Right. <laughs> I got so, you. I got so when two you're guys doing in this... my shop. I got to kick out. They're not making me. Gotta get them out. <laughs> Total <laughs> dirtbags. <laughs> so when, when you're, really young first apprentice with Mr. Miyagi. Um, are you, um, I'm sorry. I don't remember his name. Um, Mullen shot. That's fine. Yeah. Um, are you, are you actually making money or are you just there to, to grind and learn the craft and just work with, um, an amazing guy just to get experience? Yeah. So that, that first three, three and a half years, I was not paid. I just worked to learn. Right. Um, but the only way that I kind of made money on the side was after about two years, I built in my dad's backyard a little shop of my own. And I started doing like really small craft fair stuff and just right. my own stuff on the side. It drove Mr. Mullenshot crazy because, you know, he's coming from this traditional European background, which everything's super controlled. Right. And then, you know, he, you know, I'm this young, dumb American kid that he's teaching. And, you know, all of a sudden I want to set up my own shop, but it was really good. Cause I could go out in the evenings, kind of work on my own stuff. And it helped, it helped push me along, you know, to have my, own yeah, for too. sure. So you're talking, um, you're pretty young. So like what, what year are we talking about? Like what era are we talking like the early nineties? Um, uh, this is like, um, I started in 1995 with him. Okay. Okay. And I had kind of wrapped up by '98, about mm-hmm. the time I graduated high school. So the only the only reason I'm bringing this up is because um, 
I, I wanted to know if you got paid because that's it seems so foreign today to to put in that time, especially for young kids. And, you know, I don't know how old you are. I'm just guessing you're probably around 40 or so, mid 40s, yeah, early 40s. 40. So um, it just doesn't seem like that happens today. And maybe it does. I'm just I'm not just I'm not tuned into that, um, you know, blacksmithing and, and that sort of stuff. But it just like I don't think, you know. 15 people 16, could survive doing that i don't pretty much. yeah i just yeah. don't think it happens i yeah. mean maybe i'm completely wrong but it's just a testament to like you how how passionate you were about it to work for three fucking years and not get paid i mean yeah you're doing stuff on the side but man that is amazing that is a really cool story well thank you i i, I appreciate that but like i don't know i i view like learning a craft like this as a real honor and so, especially for someone like Mr. Mullenshot to take me into a shop, that's, you know, that's a real honor. He's taking a chance on investing time and in yeah. somebody like that. So it was a huge investment of his time. So, you know, I was making stuff for him to resell, but at the same time, um, you know, kind of looking down the road, it's like, hey, this is an opportunity to learn something that I really want to learn. And you know, nowadays people are paying money to, you know, go off to school and, and try and learn blacksmithing in like a college setting. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a different way of learning it. But I mean, wh why wouldn't you work for free to learn? You know what I mean? <laughs> Especially when, uh, you know, I, I was super fortunate that I was young and I was also homeschooled. So my schedule was really flexible with that. Oh, and, yeah. And um, that gave me even more time with him. So in proximity uh, to him, he's like down the road, right? Yeah, he's like eight minutes from my house. Yeah. So I, I think what Roy was getting to is I don't think any young guys would do that now. No, I don't know. I don't know if you could do that now. I don't know. I've never had the the. Uh, it just know. feels like these young kids they they view YouTube as the apprenticeship, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, and. Yeah. Be easy, be easy on that subject. <laughs> yeah, I know. I fuck. I know. I know. No, but, I know. I know the point that you're trying to make there, and and I yeah totally agree. I think, um, uh, in some ways, I'm kind of jealous because there was no, the amount of information on the internet back then was like next to super nothing. Super limited. Yeah. 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 It's it wasn't cool to be a blacksmith in the '90s. I mean, right. let's just face it, it wasn't. Yeah. Yep. And um, but yeah. It, it is kind of sad because we live in such an instant society. People expect to learn something in an instant. Mm -hmm. and, right. and there are elements of it. But like going back to my apprenticeship with Mr. Mullenshot, um, he would have me say he had some small like hooks. He would have me make, you know, 50 to 100 hooks without a jig and demand that they all turn out the same. <laughs> I love it. Because yeah. his his idea was, and, and he said this so many times, it's just ingrained in me, and I, the guys that I've taught, I've told them, anyone can make one or two of something, but to make like the, a dozen the same and control the process. It's um, very difficult. Yeah, that's that's where you know that you've learned it. It's It's one thing to make one or two and say, oh, I know it, but, you know, repetition, as much as I hated some of it early on, it that's where you learn. Yeah, well, you said something like that to me along the lines one time. I came and helped you 
I think you were just being kind to me, and you didn't use any of the things that I forged. <laughs> I came and helped you make a, a ton of leaves. And you said something about uh, repetition, something along those lines. But literally, I think I forged 20 leaves on stems that day. And I, I, I didn't – at first, I was like – in my head, I was like, well, this doesn't make very much sense. But then as I started going and I got to the fifth and sixth one, and I was like – still having trouble and then by the eighth ninth and tenth one i was starting to come to me i was like okay i kind of i get what he's saying now about and I, I i remember laying those out i still have the picture on my phone and it it made so much sense to me after i did it that the repetition and making them all the same tor- towards the end i mean the first 10 looked like crap and then the next 10 looked really really good but yeah it's it's really crazy the way you um approach things honestly i think that's what when I originally met you and Heidi, I talked to Heidi a lot more the first year I ever went to your place. And just the way you approached everything from craft to um, your work ethic, your style of doing things, the forging process, the whole way through, you just, it made sense to me. For some reason, something clicked and I was just like, man, this guy's got it figured out. It must have been very, very basic for you to actually understand. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah, we were making hooks. He showed me a there hook. You go. And he there you go. And he explained the hook to me. But no, okay, so you, you, you actually squeezed in college somewhere in there too, didn't you? Yeah, um, towards the end of my apprenticeship and while I was working at the Cauldron Company, I squeezed in some college. I'm proud to say, um, like, I was studying kind of design, art, and business and the classes that actually were about that and related to that, I aced. And every one that was just a dumb elective that you had to take, I'm you, super you proud failed. to say I flunked them with a beautiful F every time. I mean, my older sister, she graduated like in, for, as a nurse, RN. Yeah. But I just realized like I'm way too stubborn and artistic to sit by and take all these bullcrap classes to yeah. walk away with a piece of paper. Uh, you know, I wasn't wired that way, but uh, yeah, I did squeeze in some college and I'm thankful for what I learned there, but yeah, I, d- so I didn't said, get a degree. <laughs> and at the time you have this little, w- w- when you say shop set up in your parents' backyard, was it a shed? Was it just a lean to, what was it? Um, yeah, my dad helped me bake, make, uh, build it. It was basically like a shed. It was 10 feet wide and four sheets of plywood wide long so 16 feet long <laughs> that was your measuring system yeah and you then, know what i'm building a whole building based on that <laughs> <laughs> and then like halfway through my time in my dad's backyard um i added on a massive 15 foot by 15 foot addition <laughs> okay um, yeah and and i got a power hammer along the way a champion number o um and Which you so, still have, right? Yes. Yep, yeah. Still have. Um, yeah. Cool story um, about how I got that. I um, found it through another blacksmith friend and a farrier owned it. It wasn't working, um, but the farrier had a cool farm and a bank barn on the bottom of his barn. He had all these Dutch doors, which are Dutch doors, like, you know, half top, bottom uh-huh. split. Mm-hmm. So you need two pairs of strap hinges to make like an authentic Dutch door. So long story short, um, I I traded the guy, I think it was like 20 pairs of strap hinges for the champion Ott, 
he let me take the ot, set it up to make the straps, and then I delivered the strap hinges oh, back wow. to him. Dang. <laughs> that is yeah. pretty cool. And you yeah, were probably, like, fun. expert at making strap hinges because you had all that <laughs> yes. monotonous work you were doing at the hardware company and then the stuff you did with Mr. Mullenshot. Yep, same time period I was working for Cauldrons while I was doing that. So, yeah, I, I knew how go. to knock them out. So. so you set this little hammer up in the little shop behind your parents' place? Yep. And you're making what at this time to try and sell? Yeah. Because at this point, you don't have your, – your business isn't started yet, correct? Um, or would it have been? Because you started, no, what, in it, 2005? No, at, this is more like uh, still like 2000 to um, kind of 2002 era. Okay. Still, still in my parents' backyard at that point. Uh-huh. Um, Heidi and I got married in 2001. So, like, it transitions from me kind of moving out of the house. I'm still, like, I'm married, <laughs> living away, coming back to my mom and dad's in the mm-hmm. backyard, yeah. still making stuff. And what I'm making in that time period is, like, all kinds of garden gates. Um, I started doing some some small railing projects then. Yeah. Um, some pretty big crap, given the size of my shop at that point. Um, and you had okay. a day job at this point, right? Yes. I had a day job at... at um, cauldron still uh-huh. um and so like my transition to starting the studio full-time from there was pretty funny um yeah to roy's point like back then there weren't that many blacksmiths mm-hmm. you know like there are now and so the cauldrons they were um good people good to work for and i had given them like six months notice that i was leaving to start my own shop and um, Heidi got pregnant with our first kid then, and I told them that, and they lit up like a Christmas tree thinking I'd probably stay, but I didn't. Um, just cause <laughs> I, I, I just had this gut feeling that if I didn't jump ship and like kind of do it then, then 20, 30 years was going to go by and I would never have done it. Yeah. But, um, at that same time period, I had, um, come, uh, I, through some other friends, I met Sarah Kalinda, who's the director of uh, Principio, the historic site I'm at. And um, really cool deal. It's privately owned property. And this barn where I'm in, um, it was all but falling down. And so I was able to negotiate a deal where I like renovated the barn in order to have like free rent for several years as I like got going. So I fix up this barn on their property. They they bought the materials, and then I get going. And so I'm not much of a businessman, but I knew, especially like starting out, man, you gotta keep your overhead low, and you know, um, you know, just you have to be as creative on the business side as you are on, you know, the artistic what I'm making yeah. side. So okay, so hang on a second, because this is the part <laughs> that a lot of people want to know. Oh, here we you go. You transitioned from your parents' backyard to this beautiful shop that you're in now just by talking to somebody. And so the, the actual site you're on, it, let's explain that a little bit. It's Principio iron furnace, correct? Yes. A, so they, they actually were making iron there. They were making steel, right? Yep. It has a fascinating history of its own, um, chartered in London in 1720. Um, I'll just hit the high points. It yeah. was in operation until 1920, and then the company moved down to Wheeling, West Virginia. But in that time period, um, 
it was kind of failing. And then about 1750, a guy came from England and got it rolling. Um, the British in, in West Virginia. No, here at Principia. Oh, in Principia. Okay. Yeah. This is about 1750. Um, uh, it was failing from about 1720 to 1750, and then it got going. A guy named John England came, and um, they start, and they're making um, – one of the things that they're making is cannons. So all of the um, light guns on our nation's first warship, the USS Constitution, were made right here. The what? heavy guns, yep. The heavy guns were made up in Boston, um, but they were making cannonballs, cannons, um, and then so um, because of that, the British destroyed the operations in the Revolutionary War. Um, I forget the exact year, and then um, rebuilt, and then they came back in the War of 1812 and destroyed it again. Oh my goodness! And um, so everything that's here now is kind of post. 1812 like it's more civil war era the the mm-hmm. few things that are left um but yeah like super super important site in our country's history you know it's um, an incredible piece of property i try i can't you can't really explain it to people until they go see it but like the furnace is still there and the furnace is how tall is that furnace matt oh man it's got to be about 40 feet tall i was gonna say like 35 40 feet tall that's still yeah. there you can see the running gears on the side of the furnace that would, I don't know, do something. It was pumping water. There was water pumps like or something there having to do with the creek, right? That's why they set it up next to the creek. Yep. Um, water-powered, like, pumping huge iron um, bellows, basically. Like, the if you walk down the iron bellows, there's two of them in tandem, and they're about 30-inch piston. That, that thing was, you know, pumping wow. that much air. But, you know, it's a big furnace and there's still yeah. I don't know what it was, but there's still one of the um, tappings that I found down there. And I did like rough crude measurements and calculated the weight. And it's about 11,000 pounds of iron in that one tapping. Wow. So, Jeez Louise. Yeah. And you have slag everywhere on that place. Yeah, th- that's yeah, it's funny because like um Inside the old shop, which was a hay barn, basically, before I converted it to my shop, um, we dug down for the 2B foundation back when I was first renovating the building. And we dig down like six feet. I can stand in the hole. And it was nothing but slag the entire way down. And it was fascinating because you looked and you saw all these different layers. And they had the slag was different colors in the different layers. And in talking with a friend of mine who's a geologist, he said basically that was the slag is the impurities left after. But he was saying whatever iron ore from those different time periods, it was just whatever minerals difference was in there would make these like different colors in the slag. So it's pretty, pretty cool. That's crazy. So you were so digging you, the power hammer foundation. Was it a pain in the butt to dig? I mean, was yeah, it hard? It, it was a massive pain in the butt. It wasn't yeah. necessarily hard, but. That slag, like, it's funny because it really holds its shape, like, when you're on top of it. But on right. the sides, it doesn't hold anything on the sides. So it just, like, kept caving in. I was mm-hmm. going to say, mm-hmm. it's just falling away to nothing then, huh? Yeah. So I wound up digging, like, a much bigger hole than I had anticipated just because that slag kept falling in. 
So if you could have like taken a core sample of it, could you see the layers, uh, different colors, different years, just like all built up over time? That, that would have been really cool to see. Yes. And somewhere I have a picture of that. But um, yeah, I mean, basically we took and we dug about a seven foot round circle uh-huh. that was six feet deep. And yeah, from that yeah, little you, bit, you could see these different layers and different colors in the slab. Oh, and that's cool. Yeah, there so, was like so, turquoise and everything. It was really cool. Huh. So back to the renovation, you, you're you're around this area. You see this barn. You want to kick off your business. And you're looking for a way to be able to minimize your overhead and, and really get going. So you see this old barn and you're like, I can fix that up. And you get to keep the barn. You pay for the materials. I'll do all the work. And then you give me the workspace for X number of years. Am I getting this right? Yeah. Yep. So again, another layer of like pure grit that people just like probably would not do today. That like I don't I don't know if that would happen today. Then that's pretty again, that's pretty freaking amazing. Uh thank you. I and appreciate so, that. So so what was the uh what was the time frame like starting uh to fix up the building till it's good and then how many years did they give you to work in there? Well, when did you move in there? Because the time frame's still going. He's still fixing oh. it up all the time. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> but in their um, mind, they're like, all right, Matt, you're done. Now, like, you know, day one starts now, and then it's X number of years or whatever that you get for free or, or whatever you guys uh, settled up on. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to remember exactly. I've been here like 16 years now. So this is oh, wow. around 2005-ish. But I think I started... I think I started working on it. Um, it took every bit of a year and a half to renovate. And it was funny because like, um, uh, but stepping back a little bit, my friend, Mike Robert, he, he came and helped me look at it and he had renovated a historic house. So he was super helpful mm-hmm. and like, Hey, this is what it's actually going to take. There were some surprises, like my original plan. Cause I, the property owners wanted me to have like a written plan of what I was going to do. Right. In that, my, my plan was like, hey, I'm going to take the tin off the roof and replace it. Mm-hmm. Well, we get all the tin off the roof and like the entire roof structure is shot. Oh, <laughs> it's just all rotted. Yeah. Yeah. So I wound up rebuilding the entire like rafters and, you know, just it was so, much more involved. than you know. So dial me in on condition whenever you start. Um, renovating so 10 is a perfect building ready to work in and zero is nothing it's just just like a in shambles site yeah <laughs> yeah i would say this one was at about a five okay yeah. wow so so you have the structure but it not a whole lot of good bones behind it it was right. very drafty yeah. <laughs> oh yeah absolutely. which, which is great for a blacksmith shop in the dead of winter yes but so you you don't have is the business already started? What are we making? What are we starting to do when we get in this building? Because obviously you can't spend all of your time rebuilding the building or re- redoing the building. So you had to be making something somewhere in there, right? Yeah. So I I was full time on my own at this point. I actually started full time on my own in my dad's backyard, and that was probably one of the most stressful times of my life because I am working, getting product out the door, doing like railings and gates. And then I'm working on nights and weekends on the shop, renovating it. 
and then you know we finally get it renovated and then we have to move the shop it was just those that time period and i'm newly married you know and you also left out one major component that your wife told me that was like super inspiring to me you found out you were pregnant with your first child along there too didn't you yeah well that was um when I had jumped ship, but yeah, we yeah. had all of our kids close together. So she was probably pregnant through most of that you're, time. You're quitting, you're quitting your job. You're starting your business. You're getting ready to have your first child. You're newly married. Holy moly. How do you yeah. have yeah. hair left? It was insane. Yeah. So it, it, yeah. Just definitely something you can only do when you're young and stupid. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. It's not insane. No. It's very inspiring when you think about it. That's Heidi told me that story the very first time I ever met her, and we had a very long conversation. She started going down that road and telling me that story, and I'm like, I, I don't know what I would have done. No but kidding. here you are. You got a successful business, and you, you went on the, um, I don't want to say Garden Gate circuit for a while, but like you were doing craft fairs and stuff, right? Like That's how you were like getting your name out there and pushing your product, so to speak, your sculpture, yes. your, your, your style of doing things. Yep. Um, yeah. So I, I started out on the craft fair, just, you know, selling hooks and small things like a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, but the really great thing about working at the cauldrons for six years was I had learned, um, this whole high end housing market and like who the players were in that. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had a gentleman's agreement with them when I left, I was like, listen, I'm not going to compete with you on the hardware level, but I'm going after all the gates and railings from your same customers. And, um, back at that time period, there was this cool, um, show called the, the, uh, greater Philadelphia historic home show. And I set up a booth there for several years and that was kind of hit or miss, but like some years I got like four to six months worth of work out of it. One year I got like next to nothing. Um, but that really helped get my name out. And, um, yeah. So you're going from hardware and hooks at what point and how do you transition into these railings? Because that seems like the scale of work is much, much bigger. It is, but like a lot of the same disciplines, just on a different scale. And sure. and that was, you know, having done hardware, which is so small and tedious, um, I I knew I wanted to work on a bigger scale and 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 do some bigger things like gates and railings and um, just, you know, I enjoyed that. So um, yeah, that the the hardware experience was really good though because like to this day, I mean, I use that like. You know, if you need to have a gate swing around a corner, how do you offset the hinges, you know, Mm -hmm. to do that? Right. And, you know, that was a great experience. Like, you know, back at the cauldrons, I would get blueprints of a house. You know, the architect would note the offsets and, you know, I would take it from the blueprints to a bunch of finished shutter straps ready to go out the door, all stamped with a uh, window location on them, you know, so. Um, a lot of, a lot of good experience. And, and that sounds like, it just sounds like a whole lot of hustle. I mean, like you just have to be on it. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, <laughs> I think you're being modest here. He's being, <laughs> look, he's being very, very humble and modest. Yes. Yeah. His work is incredible. So when other people go, they see his work, a thing in like the, the metal world is you try and figure out how people do things and how they how he did this and how he attached this right. and stuff. 
Matt's work has that. You go, you look at these gates. He 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 always puts a gate or, or a piece of work on display during his hammer, and, and everybody will gather around it throughout the day and look and try and figure out, well, how do you do this? How do you attach that? Matt's work is very much that way. You mm-hmm. look at the you look at the piece and you're just like, well, how how would he even do that? Because you know that's part of it is your your it's kind of like a smoke and mirrors kind of thing, but it's not if you know the craft and yeah, he's being very humble. Yeah, I could. Is, I mean, I I so yeah. full disclosure, um, I started following you. I, Chris has been knocking you off of this podcast for months now. It's like, <laughs> um, so I, Listen, I, I started. <laughs> he got he got under a big project. We yeah, wanted him yeah, on like yeah. three months ago. He got a huge project, and then hey, I disappeared for a little bit. Don't buy into any of this. He's he on now. Like, I'm, so I've been looking at your stuff and just seeing the scale of what you're kind of what we're talking about in some of the sculptures, the railings, and I'm just I'm I don't know anything about it. So just from the layperson's perspective, it is crazy good and it looks like over the top quality. Um, so I, I could tell you're being humble here because your work, I mean, from 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 my standpoint, is just crazy off the charts. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, like, my philosophy is there's room at the top, and that's where I want to be. So there you I, go. Dang, I, there's but room I, at the top, and that's where I want. You got to put I that on a shirt. I don't <laughs> say that arrogantly, but like all the people that I admire are the best. Yeah, and that's who I'm striving to be. And and you know, in a way that like that's one of the reasons why I opened up the shop for the hammer in every year because like. My philosophy is there's guys that I want to be like. And then for some kid who just started, um, if he gets the chance to come to my shop and check it out, you know, maybe I'm a little bit further <laughs> up the uh, food chain than he yeah. is. And maybe he gets inspired in a different way. Because I know like one of the most valuable things for me was like. And then he quits his day job and he builds a <laughs> shop. And then he gets other guys working with him. And then he's in this big, crazy world now. Yeah, yeah, but I know I mean, all that, about that. I know yeah. that guy. I've talked to him a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that's that's how it happens because like how many guys have you helped like reselling tools to? Right. And you know all that stuff. So yeah, you know it's it's fun. Um, but no, going back to the scale of the work that we're doing now, that that's definitely one thing I have to brag on is like you don't do this type of work without a team. I'm not doing yeah. it by myself. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I major shout out to um. My wife, Heidi, who's um, full time in our office, like keeping the books and schedule straight. That's amazing. She, ha- she has an incredibly difficult job. Listen, I think I work. talked to I think I talked to Matt for five seconds the first time I went to his shop and I talked to his wife for like two hours. Yeah. She's incredible. Heidi's incredible. She, she's absolute gold. Um, and I can't say enough good things about her. Um, just my whole journey. Um, it, it hasn't been easy and there's been plenty of super stressful points she's been supportive the entire time um she always supported me buying tools you know which you know i hear guys gripe about but no she she always supported that and then um she's been in the office like almost five years now and that's been a whole nother learning curve is kind of learning how to work together um yeah but yeah huge shout out to her and then out in the shop um i i have andrew um, who's been with us, I think almost six years now. Um, awesome guy. He's actually Heidi's cousin, but I trained him. He came on as an apprentice 
and trained him. And now he's super skilled metal worker in his own right. And Jared, same deal, took him mm-hmm. on as apprenticeship. Um, he's been here almost four years now. My dad still works with me part-time and dad was the first employee. Dad came on about 2008 um, without any metal work experience, but a very talented guy in his own right. Like for instance, um, he was a, his career was a uh, game warden. He enforced. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Hunting and fishing laws. He said, I have the best uh, job ever. I get to hunt the hunters. So (laughs) yeah, there you go. (laughs) Get to hunt Um, the hunters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, But after he had retired, he, you know, still young and wants to work and do stuff. And um, he was, I think, driving at a retirement home at the time. He was unhappy. And I had gotten so busy. And the type of scale of stuff I was doing, I, back then I was actually by myself. Um, and so I hired him on. And, like, um, he is really a skilled decoy carver. And, and um, like that was one of, one of the Sorry. things he What's that? And I was hoping you were going to tell the story because I read it on your on your uh, on your bio on your website, decoy, and then it led into the Indians, right? Yeah, so it, it led into a couple different things, but um, yeah, he was doing like decoys, and then we get this commission for this kind of gentleman's library, and the Newell post winds up becoming this duck head on the Newell po- a steel duck head, and so I asked him, I said, Dad, I need you to carve a steel buffle head duck head for this new uh-huh. post and i mean you can see pictures of it on uh, he nailed it yeah it, it's it's incredible and yeah. so you know it, it was fun watching him learn metalworking and, and you know all that stuff uh but yeah and then yeah he and my mom actually still work with me part-time we just finished that huge copper indian project and they did a ton of work on that he did um he carved all the molds because we use these big wooden molds mm-hmm. um, to hammer the copper sheets down into. And so even my mom, for, she did some repose on it. So. so for the listeners out there, go to Matt Harris's Instagram and you can see what we're talking about. And it, it's on the website also. You guys did one commission full-size Indian. It's a replica. And then yeah. the family wanted like eight more or something like that. Is that correct? Yeah, so again, like one of those crazy jobs that kind of morphs into something else. So that sculpture is of an Indian. That it's the only sculpture attributed to this semi-famous painter Frank Schoonover. He was an American illustrator, and it was owned by this family. And when we were first approached, they wanted us to make two copies of it. Okay. And I did like I think uh, I did like a study of the face. I, mm-hmm. I told him, I said, I have no idea how to bid this. So I like, <laughs> hammered I don't know out. what I'm getting into. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hammered out a face and then they were, uh, no, it was a full head. I, I did like the full head with the headdress and, uh, long story short, they were really impressed with the, mm-hmm. the quality and, and shocker. The, <laughs> are, um, are you allowed to talk about that customer? Can you say who that was? Just like a broad no, no. Okay. Some of that stuff gets in. <laughs> well, it, went, it kind of went full circle with the beginning of the story. That's why I was getting to that. But anyhow, yeah, he, he got a little, uh, by the end of that, I remember, cause I came to your shop several times while you were working on that and you were like bit off more than you could chew with that, with that <laughs> yeah, job yeah. in that time frame. 
I know yeah. by the end of it, you were like done. You were oh, yeah, done. No, we were on that job like for about 16 months. We, yeah. I mean, Ugh. still squeezing yeah. in some other small stuff in between. But yeah, um, it was it was such a, a grind. And, and at the same time, it's like this kind of historically significant piece. And you yeah. have to do an awesome replica of it. Yeah. <laughs> And it, it would like artistically, it was kind of just it was a cool piece in its own right. It's this Indian standing at full draw with this longbow. Yeah. And you know he's a, a Lenape um, Indian, uh, you know, with this really cool headdress, and you know it was it was a neat project. I believe his I, words at the end of the project were something along the lines of "Never again." Never again. <laughs> yeah. Never again. Famous last words. <laughs> yeah. I lo- I don't know if I saw it on your on your Instagram or your, your website, but seeing the finished product and it's full shining, it's beautiful. And then you're like, show it a little bit later and you're like, it's patinating up nicely and it's turning yeah. into that, that, uh, green, you know, that, that green copper color. Uh, it just looked, they look beautiful, man. I mean, crazy. Like whenever I first saw it, I was like, oh, it looks like two dimensional. It's like, yeah. And then you then you had like this three quarter ISO view, and I was like, "Holy shit, that thing is like that's it's a copper full. person." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it blew my mind looking at that. And the, and the hair, it looks like he's got a big giant mohawk. I mean, that might have been the headdress that you're talking about, but whew, I mean, yeah. come on, that's freaking awesome. Yeah, no, it it was a super awesome design to begin with, and uh, yeah, fun to do. It was it very three dimensional. Like when you looked at yeah. it head on. Mm-hmm. He wasn't like as thick as a man should be, because um, okay. whatever artist originally the um, a guy named Victor I'm drawing a blank on his last name, but he was a Polish guy mm-hmm. out of Wilmington, Delaware, was the actual guy who hammered him out. Um, Frank Schoonover designed him, but um, yeah, he was only like maybe half the width of a human, mm-hmm. but still very three dimensional. And, and, and what year was that that the original was made? Uh, 1935. Well, guys were skinnier back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We didn't have we didn't have as much crap in our food. <laughs> hey, talk a little bit about your uh, your new shop. I mean, uh, well, your expansion, I guess you want to call it, but that thing's yeah. massive. It's huge. Um, yeah. So about five years ago, we had grown in in the scale of the projects we were doing had grown. I, I remember in the old shop before the new edition um i did a public sculpture that's now up in elkton and in order to make that piece i assembled the whole thing laying sideways and the only time that i it's about 17 feet tall the only time i saw it standing up was when we actually installed it and the crane lifted it up upright but the projects like that were the need Mm -hmm. to kind of expand so we we added on um a 30 by 72 um pole barn basically that has wood siding so it looks historic and appropriate mm-hmm. to where i'm at and then um build it tall 16 foot um sidewalls um to put a bridge crane in and um we built an office and a showroom on one end and um yeah we have the but yeah, you know, that was like another crazy project, kind of did it as we had the money to do it. So I put the shell up and we worked on a dirt floor for like a year and a half before we had the money to, you know, pour the floor and all that. So 
There you um, go. Yeah, not another. Um, and, but, and and you have like an eighty million ton nasal or uh, eighty million ham- ton. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know. I just yeah, an eighty million ton nasal. Yep, that's what he's got. No, what it looks got, like to me. So no, he he has two nasals. Talk a little bit about your power hammers, Matt, because I think people are genuinely interested in those. You have two nasals and then a uh, Niles. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So going back to the um, power hammers, the nasal two B and a bunch of tongs and stuff. I wound up buying off of Mr. Mazzola, the Italian guy in Philly that I worked for. Um, when he finally decided to close his doors in 2005 um he sold me a bunch of stuff at a really good deal like he mm-hmm. i'd worked really hard for him and in return, you're like dude i worked for you for free for is three that years. the hammer is no, that no, the no. hammer you were uh, using mr mazzola i didn't work for free uh, that that was uh that was a paid gig um what'd you say chris was that the hammer that you were using because the mazzola place is where you're doing the stone hammers and stuff correct yes and, and was that the hammer you were using there? No, we we did all the stonemason hammers by hand. Everything um, by hand. Yeah. No, wow. the 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 2B that I bought off of him, he had actually never had that set up and running. Ah. So, long story short, he kind of gave me my choice of a 3B and a 2B. Yeah. And I really regret not buying both of them yeah. back then, but um I knew I was going to have to move it like two or three times before I set it up. Right. So I um, I went with the 2B just because it was smaller and easier to move. Um, but yeah. Can you can you quickly tell? I don't know what the difference between a two and a three are is. A a 2B has like a 165 pound ram. Um, a 3B has like a 265 or 280 pound ram. Um, I now have a 3B that um, a friend in the blacksmith community, Dave Hammer, sold me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 800 pound Niles Bement, um, a super awesome friend from the blacksmith community named Mike Scheip, who tragically passed away, uh, about six years ago now. Um, but he, he was kind of like you, Chris, in the fact he'd like go around and hunt tools. And, uh, yeah. he had gone down to this auction at a steel mill in West Virginia. And it was the craziest thing because um, you could go online and see all the tool lots and mm-hmm. they had like the dumbest, smallest stuff separated into its own separate lot. Yeah. And then when it got to the blacksmith shop, it was one lot. Oh my goodness. Blacksmith shop. Jeez. Wow. So, um, Mike bought the entire shop, which included that 800 pound Niles cement, like swage blocks, anvils. It was really awesome. Yeah. And, um, out of that, he, he sold me the, um, the Niles cement. Um, now you went and got that hammer from there, right? No, Mike, Mike removed that hammer oh, okay. and hauled it back up here, um, with like, uh, F-250 on a tr- the back of a trailer. Um, doing a wheelie the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause wasn't there, you told me uh, at one point, I think it was that hammer. Wasn't there like six inches of grease or sludge or something that attached <laughs> that hammer to the floor? And they had to use like digging bars and stuff to to break like a it loose. Suction thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He so he told me when he removed the anvil from the floor, there was like, um, he called it dinosaur shit. Yeah. Um, 
That sounds about right. It was basically like emulsified oil that had just laid there and mm-hmm. like hardened over, you know, 80 years. And he ha- he actually wound up taking a chainsaw and no like way. just like sawing. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. I remember oh my you saying goodness. that, but I didn't know if that was a goof or he actually used a chainsaw. No, he, he did. And, and wow. Mike was, he was a big boy. He's like my height and, you know, maybe 300 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> he was going to get the job done. He's just, he was an incredible guy. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't actually get to meet him before I, before he passed away, but everybody used to call me like mini Mike when I first started doing this stuff because they were like, Oh, you're just like Mike. Yeah. Get all these tools. But he sounded like a fascinating guy. He was into all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh yeah. uh, Blacksmith stuff aside, he was into some cool stuff that would have been interesting to talk to him about, but I never had the, everybody knew him, but I never had the chance to meet him. We, our our paths just never crossed. Yeah. So before the auction, y'all are in cahoots with each other and and you're essentially telling him to buy it for you and just deliver it to the house. Is that what's going on there? Yes, pretty much. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And it was a, it was a steam hammer too. So it it ran off of steam at that location but you have since you have it running on air, obviously. Yeah. So that, that was the, um, like before the auction, we were talking and kind of, you know, conspiring to get it. But at the auction, Mike was able to talk to a guy who worked in that shop and he told him that about 10 to 15 years earlier, they had gone through that hammer and con- then tightened it up and converted it to air. So, Oh, so that's nice that you didn't have to do that. Uh, absolutely, because um, uh, Michael Dillon has the same hammer, um, Dillon Forge down in uh, Georgia, yeah. and he did a full restoration on his. Um, and back when iForge Iron was actually a thing, um, he was like posting all the information on there about it. And yeah, it's no joke. It doesn't yeah, seem like, like that would be easy or affordable to do. No. Definitely not. <laughs> you had a, you had a, th- didn't you have a thousand pound reserve tank at one time, or do you still have that? I have, yeah, I still have a thousand gallon. Um, a thousand gallon, yeah, and it would suck it dry in like two minutes. Yeah. So, it, long story what? short, yeah, it's it takes an incredible amount of air um, to run it. Yeah. You can run it off like a 160 cfm compressor, and it'll run it about 40 seconds before it runs out of air. But in order to run it like full on continually, you need about 400 CFMs, which is like almost the size of one of those sandblast things that they use for bridges. You know, it's huge. So how do you adapt that to your shop so that you can actually use it for more than 10 (laughs) seconds? Yeah, Matt, how do you do that? (laughs) The, The only way is with a diesel powered air compressor. Yeah. Which shout out to Pat up in, you know, Center for Metal Arts yeah. of getting that 1500. Isn't that what it is? 3000. 3000. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's it. People don't realize until you get into it, but um, it just takes an incredible amount of air to run these steam hammers off of yeah. there. They're ridiculous. When the episode comes out, I'll post a video up of uh, we used it like three years ago. We were working on an anvil. And Matt was operating the hammer, and I was trying to hold this 60-pound billet on top of it. Yeah. But it's a cool hammer. Yeah. Yeah, um, but anyway, the takeaway I wanted people to get from this is it's like the common misconception. You hear that <laughs> you're so lucky when you get a new shop or a big shop or whatever. 
What? He's sorry. Is that you or him? No, that's not me. Sorry, my phone's phone's ringing. You're busy. You're busy. No edits. No edits. Just run it. No, the the common misconception I wanted uh, the takeaway to be from this was that you gotta you gotta hustle, hustle, hustle. Nothing was given to you. You weren't like nobody handed you a pile of cash and said, "Here, set up a blacksmith shop, open up your own business." You like. From the from high in high school all the way up to where you are now to the team you've built and the business you've built, you you were steadily you worked for three and a half years for free, and yeah. you were like grinding the whole way all the way there. So the the you know you see all these little cheesy quotes and stuff online, but the the one that always sticks out in my head when you're doing something like this is it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I Mm -hmm. think your whole story leading up to this is like you're running the marathon and you're still doing it because you change stuff every year. You're still evolving. You're trying to figure out how to make the business better, how to uh, capture more customers, different customers. I know me and you have talked. You want to get back into doing some sculptural work and um, start going down that path again because you kind of. You went on, well, you, you had a huge project, which we didn't talk about, but you can go on Matt's Instagram and, and you did a whole gate section. Uh, I, I don't know what you would call that. Fencing, gates. Uh, you did everything for like a mansion. Yeah, that we just wrapped that project up um, this summer. Again, huge shout out to my team. So we go yeah. out there in August it winds up being the dangest hot. Yeah, it's like 90 yeah. degrees. Oh, yeah. It, it was so bad yeah. that like we had to start super early, um, take a bunch of breaks. I mean, we're drinking water like it's going out of style. And yeah, it, yeah it, was, it was brutal. But yeah, that project was like a four month long project. It was a bunch of um, English style wrought iron gates with some fencing. Um, Gold up, leafing. Yeah, we wound up doing of course. some. Yeah. It, yeah, that was a learning process. Um, Heidi actually um, did all the gold leafing. And um, I have a bunch of friends who do that. I've seen it done right. And she did an amazing job, like better than a lot of the quote unquote legit people that I've seen. Um, but yeah, that was that was a whole nother learning process. And uh, yeah, every job's like that. You're learning something. And that's, you know, what I enjoy about it is there's a new challenge yeah. um, with everything. Like uh, a few um Right before we actually installed it, kind of right before all the COVID shutdowns went. But um, I wound up doing a big sculpture of a molecule. Um, I wanted the, to ask you about that. Yeah. Um, it looks that, like a set of jacks thrown on a, <laughs> on a concrete it, slab. It does. It does. But um, that's probably like please. the nicest, most insulting thing ever to say about I'm, it. <laughs> No, I mean, this looks like a giant. You just made giant jacks. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't like. Listen, I don't know what the, I don't know what to <laughs> freaking call this shit. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking, it's, it's beautiful. I'm sorry. <laughs> if, if an idiot like me can look at it and go, oh wow, that's really cool, and and find some sort of association, like you knew exactly what I was talking yeah, about. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you did that. That was for talk a little bit about that. That was for a chemical company or a, a, a research company. What was it? Yeah, so um, the funny thing is it was for Camores, which is a, actually a spinoff of DuPont. And so it took me back so much to my apprenticeship with Mr. Molenchop because he was, you know, working for the, the DuPont company. And long story short, I get this project through um, their VP of branding, 
and um, I'm in it, and then I'm, I start working with these engineers to, you know, make sure the structural analysis and everything's done correct. And it, you know, it took me way back to working with Mr. You Mullen mean so it, could, so it could support itself, pretty much? Yeah. Right. So um, th that entire piece was fabricated from aluminum, which is like. Um, I've done a lot of work in aluminum, but on that scale, that was a whole nother learning curve. Um, it's really shiny. It, it's yeah. very shiny. <laughs> that, another project you look back on, you go, I don't know how we did that. But um, yeah, we fabricated it here in the studio, and then I wound up transporting it to um, a guy in New Jersey who did this um, incredible spray chrome finish on it. It looks like Mm -hmm. it, it, it's very reflective it's like a mirror you can see yourself in it but it has like this kind of translucent paint mm -hmm. um type thing and then Ooh. we transported it back from new jersey to the site in delaware so um yeah super, another crazy project what i find fascinating and um kind of inspiring is that every every step you're you're adding skills you're building on the foundation that you've already laid and you could not be where you are today had you not gone through all of that stuff and i just i keep going back to it is like i don't think that exists today and and it's just really impressive that you've had this career of you know someone looking on the outside they look at you today and you're like oh must be nice and yeah it's it's not like that. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm sure not. there are points where you have all this self doubt. Like, am I doing the right thing? Am I going to make money? Did I bite off more than I can chew? And and to hear that you're still grinding, you're still making changes. You're I don't want to say you're struggling, but it's a daily struggle to run a business and be successful. And yeah. it's amazing. Congratulations, man. Thank High you. Five, freaking awesome. Yeah. No, it's a, I mean, as you guys know, it's a ton of work. Like, I know, Chris, you're friends with Jimmy Dresta. You know, everybody wants Who? to be Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, Jimmy. Jim. I'm joking. I know you're everybody Jimmy wants Two to be him. About? But, yeah. I mean, to his credit, he has yeah. worked his butt off. Yeah. And he still to does. To do all those videos. And he still it's does. It's ridiculous. You know, yeah. Everybody wants to be him, but nobody wants to put in that work. So, you know. Listen, yeah. I want to be him, and I'm not staying up that late. <laughs> Listen, that guy, I don't know how he does it. I've said it time and time again. He, right. he is just wired differently. Yeah. I mean, anybody that can do a huge project at 3 a.m. And, and then go to sleep for like two hours and wake up and go right back at it, it's like, man, my hat's off to you. But well, I, I, in the same aspect, you do the exact same thing. There's times when I'm sitting on my butt in my house mm -hmm. and I'll pull up Instagram and you're still in the shop working either, whether it be in the summer dead, you know, dead of summer when it's hot as crap out. And, uh, yeah, so you, you're not far from that either, Matt. So don't, don't take away from, uh, you know, saying that other people got it going on, man. You're like, you're working just as hard as everybody else, if not harder. Well well, it's like the most successful. It seems like those guys are the hungriest because yeah. they've built this, you know, this empire around them, and you just you gotta you gotta maintain. You gotta keep yeah. going, and yeah. and yeah. with you, you got employees, you got mom and dad, you got the two dogs. I mean, yeah. you, you gotta you gotta keep going, and and now a lot of people are relying on you. A lot of people are relying on Jimmy. A lot of people are relying on Chris. Like it's just this momentum that you can't stop. And if you do, 
it's over. It's yeah. over. Yeah. Um, at the same time, like, I think I'm real happy where I'm at in the fact that I've built something big enough that we can take on some kind of scary big projects and knock them out. But I'm not so big as some of the other players in my industry where they have a huge, right. you know, and and I I love where I'm at in the fact that I can still go out on the shop floor and actually do some of the work. Yeah. I, you know, coming up in some of the shops I was in, I, you know, I spent a lot of time like talking to the owners and stuff. And um, there was a guy down in Baltimore who helped me do some bending work before I had a roll bender one time. Um, he was an English guy and really cool guy. And um, I remember talking to him and he had a shop where I think he told me he had like 10 guys. And he was like, yeah, you're not touching the work at all. And mm -hmm. I decided at that moment, I was like, yeah, I'm going to get big and do some big stuff and have fun. But I'm never going to get so big to where I'm not actually because that's why you, you get into it. You, you know, yeah, you love what you're doing. And, you know, I, I always want to have my hand in the work. There you go. Crazy cool. Well, so real, real quick plug for this weekend, um, the event that's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's our hammering again, 14 years. Um, we've had kind of a different theme and different demonstrator every year. I kind of decided to kick it back more to knives um, mm -hmm. because a lot of people are interested in that. And like one of the goals was to educate um through it so yeah will stelter coming all the way from montana you can you know see him this weekend um the event is free it always has been and i think some people kind of almost don't take it seriously because it's free but it's a great event for several reasons like i mean kind of what you guys just experienced at maker camp you just get a bunch of awesome people together right yeah you know talking it, there's so much to be said for that um, great demo. I know Will has an excellent demo cooked up. Um, he's going to be doing some mosaic Damascus and some stuff that he was learning with um, Steve Schwarzer. And yep. um, yeah, so it's this Saturday, October 23rd um, from 9 to 4. And it's at 1760 Principio Furnace Road in Perryville, Maryland. <laughs> there you go. I don't know if you should have did that, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to be there, Chris it, Cash? Of course. I look forward to it every year. It's like the uh, it's the event for me. And I go to a lot of events, but this one, I don't know what it is. It's just a magical place. The property's incredible. Matt and his family are great. Um, yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. The, the freaking place changed my life, people. Literally. <laughs> Why Literally. did you do that? Why did you do that, how Matt? I, how else I could say that? <laughs> but yeah, his place is. Uh, I encourage everybody to go out, whether you're into knives or not. Will's an amazing guy. I can't wait to meet him in person. Me and Will have been friends for a very long time, and we've never actually met each other in person. So if you would have gone to Blade Show, you could have met him. That's going to be exciting. But anyway, <laughs> thanks again, Matt. We didn't even touch on a million other things that we could have yeah, talked really. about, but we're all midday and we probably should get back to work. But um, yeah, I appreciate everything you do. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Your work is incredible. Obviously, you know that. I've told you that a million times, but everybody go follow Matt. Matt also has a little bit of a YouTube presence. He wants to make it bigger, but he's got some really, really cool. Did you guys put that newest video up yet? Um, no, we're still okay. Still he's got a cool. It. He's got a cool video video that he's cooking up that's really, really, really incredible. 
Um, but yeah, go look at Matt has videos from a long time ago too, um, where you can see him forging some pretty big steel under some some big power hammers. But yeah, I think that's a that's a wrap. Anything yeah. else? Anything else? We good? We good? No, thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it, man. It was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. That is a wrap. Thank you. On the Axe and Iron Podcast.